With the new X series of scratch-offs from the New York Lottery, you can multiply your winnings up to 100 times the X series from the New York Lottery. It's a better way to multiply. You must be 18 years or older to purchase. Please play responsibly. On this week's episode of Bill's Pod Squad, PSC supervising producer Michelle Girardi-Zumwalt joins us to talk about the new Bill's documentary, Growth Mindset, that drops on Thursday, March 11th. She shares her top three stories she has produced in her career and shares why one phone call with Scott Norwood was so important. She also gives her advice to women who want to work in sports and more. Bill's Pod Squad starts right now. Welcome into this week's episode of Bill's Pod Squad presented by the New York Lottery. Maddie Glab here is your host and on with me today is a boss woman, Michelle Girardi-Zumwalt, aka the supervising producer at Pagula Sports and Entertainment, aka one of the faces behind the epic documentaries you've seen about the Bills and Sabres and many other pieces that you see on those websites. She's one of the people that makes it all happen, makes the sauce come together. So we are so excited to have Michelle on with us today, who's also one of my bosses. Hello, it's good to see you. I was just thinking like, I don't think we've seen each other in person since what, August? So it's, you know, I know we've been working together so much and we see each other like this, but we got to get together soon. I know it's been, it's been a weird world, but we are at the end of the COVID dog days. Hopefully we can get back to normal and uh, have a normal season next year where you and I can maybe be on the sidelines or around the team a little bit more. What a wonderful world that would be. Dream big. Right. (laughs) Today, we're going to discuss one of her most recent projects, the Growth Mindset documentary that is dropping on Thursday, March 11th on YouTube at seven o'clock Eastern time and also on Friday, March 12th at 630 Eastern time on WIVB TV channel four. We're going to talk about life in the biz and more. So you do not want to miss out on this convo or this awesome documentary that I've gotten the chance to take a little sneak peek at. It, it hits you in the feels. I've got to say, Michelle, you always make me cry with these documentaries. So, but before- The greatest we, compliment. <laughs> right? That's, that's the goal of a producer is get the tears going, right? Exactly. But before we get into what you've been up to lately, let's do a top three to kick off our conversation. You have produced so many stories and been- a part of creating so many stories, whether it's been at the Bills or the Sabres or with NFL Films. So what are your top three stories that you have produced ever? That's such a tough question. That's like choosing between my children. (laughs) Like, where do you put like Trey White Goalie Academy? How does that not crack? Oh my gosh. Right? But I guess I got to go with uh, 30 for 34 Falls of Buffalo. You know, that's probably the most well-known piece that I've produced. It's you know, the most famous, it's part of one of the greatest documentary series, sports documentary series ever. Um, so that's got to be probably number one. It was this, the piece I was working on when I got hired here, actually. So I did a bunch of the directing and producing and researching. And then um, when I got the opportunity to come here, I had to leave right as we had just started editing. So I never got to finish the edit, but I did do a lot of the directing and interviewing for that one. And I'm very, very proud of it. Just Number like throw, throw you in the fire there. Yeah. <laughs> Falls of Buffalo. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was a crazy experience. It was, I was, I'd been a producer at NFL films for probably eight or nine years when the project came up and Ken Rogers, who is like the legendary 30 for 30 NFL films producer came to me and said, we're thinking of pitching 
you know, to ESPN, a story on the Bills four Super Bowls. Are you interested? What do you think of this? Are Bills fans going to buy into this? Don't don't make me relive that. (laughs) Why are you asking me to be a part of this? (laughs) I have to tell you. So I was in his office at NFL Films and he made me watch the fourth quarter of Super Bowl 25, which (laughs) yes, I had not watched since I was eight years old. Like what Bills fan has gone back and rewatched that? I heard the kick, like especially working at NFL Films, like you could be sitting in your office just minding your own business and somebody next to you is playing that here it is a shot heard around the world no it was it was awful (laughs) but you know and every time I would close the door and try to hide but in this case I had to face it I was sitting on this couch in his office sweating like I was getting so nervous it was was bizarre like physical reaction to knowing what was coming and like I had to like exercise the demons of my childhood to get through that so it was crazy but at the same time I got to meet you know my idols growing up I got to meet Scott Norwood you know I was the one who not to toot my own horn here I am like I I got him to participate in the film because he didn't do very many interviews at all very few he'd done one for SI you know maybe a decade before this Um, but otherwise he was sort of mysterious and sort of disappeared so um, when I was interviewing Bruce DeHaven who was a special teams coach for the Bills during those years um, I kind of gained his trust and he was like you know I can tell that you're coming from a good place you're a Buffalo girl you're going to tell the story the right way I'll call Scott for you and tell him to start returning NFL films calls. And so they, NFL films at that point, like there, there's it's such a huge apparatus. Like there's so many people who have different jobs. So I was not in charge of like trying to recruit people for the show. They turned it over to me though. And we're like, you be the one to call Scott. Like you should be the one to talk to him. And so the one day I was home with my kids and he happened to call me back, you know, after three or four tries. And your heart to drops to as you see his phone <laughs> or you see his uh, name pop up on your phone, I'm sure. I did. And then my had like these toddlers and I'm like running into another room to take the call and they're like, mommy, mommy. And I'm like, no, no, no. Shut up. It's Scott on the phone. <laughs> I know. And it was, it was great. He's such a nice guy. And now we're friends. And it's like, when you think back to, you know, when you're, when you're a kid loving sports and, and these larger than life figures, and now that you have all their numbers in your, and you consider Scott Norwood, somebody who like haunted me as a kid, as a friend, it's just, it's such a, a great fulfilling experience and, and crazy too. Oh, that's amazing. All right. Number two, what is your second favorite one? I'm going to go with the first season of Buffalo Bills embedded because I really, Okay, what season? That, what season was this for for people who so, don't remember? Slash me who came in after you guys yeah, started yes, those. <laughs> right. So this was 2018. Okay. So it's the summer after McDermott came to Buffalo. He broke the playoff drought. We went to Jacksonville, lost in the playoffs that year. You know, it was the big you know locker room moment. The Tyler Boyd, Boyd TD. Uh, you know, Kyle Williams decides to come back. So it was that summer. Um, we got greenlit to do kind of what everyone says, our own version of hard docs at training camp. And it was pretty no, pretty no holds barred. Like we were in every morning meeting. We were in every coach's meeting at night. We worked from, you know, 7 a.m. until 8 p.m. when the coaches were done. But then we all went back and had, you know, planned for the next day, had a production meeting at like 11 p.m. every night. It was crazy. You were working, you know, straight through, getting like five hours of sleep a night, maybe. And then just right back at it. But we had so much great access. We had wires at camp every day. Um, and I really think that that series showed Bills fans who McDermott really is and was able, we were able to really, you know, put his message out there. Everyone kind of heard about the trust the process stuff and it was kind of a joke, but I think not a joke, but you know, people would, would, 
Yeah, the, the gimmick one-liners that people are like, is this real? Is this not real? Is this just another coach who's coming in and is like, you know, you gotta, you gotta grind or whatever word they want to use. But for him, it's the players gravitate towards them. They love that stuff. Exactly. And you could see the consistency in his message and how the players responded to him. So I just thought that that was a really great experience. And it was really great for our fans to get to see that side of him and ESPN picked up on it. It was just such a fun, crazy experience, you know, and for the crew where you're just like living it and you feel like you're at training camp yourself, basically. I mean, watch, you know how it is. Yeah. And as a producer to get that type of access, to be able to be in meetings like that and have wires at every practice, like that is a producer's dream. And like nine times out of 10, that does not happen when you're producing a documentary or a feature. Usually it's nine times out of 10, things go wrong and you just have to scrap together what you have to tell the story. Exactly. And it's so different when you're producing in sports and when you actually work for the team, because the truth is, I mean, McDermott is the boss in every situation. Like, I mean, I don't directly report to him, but he's, he's the boss. So you really need to earn his trust and have him allow you in. It's not like, reality TV where you have people who are just dying to get on TV and you're like, Hey, will you do this? And they're like, absolutely. Like we are observing what they're doing. I'm not going to say to, Hey coach, you know, maybe in this meeting, like, could you try like working this thing in from practice yesterday? It'd really give us a nice like full circle moment in the show. Like, no, you know, I'm not getting, you're really just observing what he's doing and, you know, grateful that, that you're there to see it. And then, and then from there, you have to figure out how to put the pieces together. Yeah, it's like a puzzle, but it's the best part when it all comes together and you see that finished product and all the long hours and all the no sleep that went into making making something happen. And you're like, wow, this was totally worth it all. But what's number three on your list? So I think number three, I'm going to go with my man, Josh Allen and my other man, Cade Spinello. So the super Cade story. It's a great is, story. Yeah, it was great. So um you know, embedded was also Josh's rookie year, which, you know, but at the time at the beginning of training camp, we didn't know that he was going to end up being the starter that year. Like he was sort of, you know, second, third man on, on the roster. It was his rookie year, you know, who knew? So then by December that year, he was obviously playing and, you know, this was our kind of our first opportunity to really get to tell his story and, and to get to know him. And, you know, I'd recommend everybody go check it out. It's still on YouTube. Um, the super Cade story. So Cade is essentially a kid that Josh met at Jordan Palmer's football camp. We all know how big Josh is at training with Jordan in the off season. Um, and Cade was diagnosed with a brain tumor when he was, I think five. And, you know, he's now a motivational speaker. He's spoken to the Packers. He came and spoke to our team for this piece that we did. We flew him and his family out here to see Josh and just the, the genuine interaction between them and the love of between the family and Josh. And you can tell that it's not um, just something that Josh is putting on, you know, he's not putting on a show for us. Like he actually really loves his family, loves this kid. You know, they, they're, you know, he's part of the family essentially. And, you know, letting this kid have this like great Buffalo experience. Josh took him to a Sabres game. He got to ride the Zamboni. Josh stayed the entire game. Like he could have just come and made a 10 minute appearance for the cameras and left, but he stayed for the whole game. We went downstairs after to introduce Cade to some of the Sabres, Jack Eichel and Rasmus Dahlin. And there were, um, some other kids who were down there outside the locker room, Josh stayed and like took pictures with them. Like he is just, it really made me love him and feel like, you know, this is a guy worth rooting for. And this is a guy that Buffalo deserves. And, you know, you can feel good about supporting him. So I would say that's number three. 
I remember watching that when I was prepping for my interview and I applied for the job with the Bills and I was watching all a bunch of the stuff that you have produced. And I was like, wow, I need to work for this team that has produced like these high end documentaries and features. That was one of my favorites right off the bat. But I've got to say, Trey White Goalie Academy, it might be chilly featuring Steve Tasker and that Grammy worthy <laughs> production and performance that he put on those are also a couple of my favorites that I'm sure you have like 20 other favorites that you wish you could just loop into to the top three or top 100 because at this point in your career you've probably produced hundreds of stories which is crazy to say and think about that's true I know and like when you say the might be chilly thing like who knew that that would be such a phenomenon like we had so much fun producing that and I have to tell you like I've never been more nervous during a game than during that Broncos game this year, because we spent a couple of weeks producing that. We knew how cool it was. Like Steve put so much work into his character. We were going to get in the script, right? Getting all the shot. Every shot had to be perfect. We were up late, you know, the night before, even actually during that day, we were even finishing it. And then knowing the bills need to win this game for us to, to put this out there, because we specifically say in this script, we're not backing in. And when we win this game, this is us saying like, we are going into the playoffs, you know, on our own terms. And if we lose, you know, then we have to say, well, if Miami loses tomorrow, then technically we're in the playoffs, but we didn't clinch it ourselves. You know, so it was like, we need to win this game and make a statement. And so even though we ended up kicking butt that game before the game, I was so nervous. Like we have to win because this will be such a wasted effort. You call it. Hey, coach McDermott. Um, yeah, Yeah. this is Michelle. We just, uh, spent three weeks putting together this video. And by the way, you guys need to win so that it can drop because if you lose, then we can't put it out at all. Yeah, that, that's what I need to tell Coach McDermott. We've already made a video saying we've won the AFC East. <laughs> no so are you cool with that? Yeah, yeah, he would be. <laughs> I'd be out on the street. I remember watching that. Tasker and I were walking into the office at the same time, and he was so excited about it. And he was like, have you seen the piece that's going to drop if we win? And I was like, no, I've heard about it. He's like, I've got it right on my phone. So we're walking in the building and me and Steve have cried together more than like anybody I know that I've worked with. So we're walking into the building. He's got tears streaming down his face. So do I, the game's going to start in a couple hours. And we walk in and people are like, are you guys okay? We're like, yeah, we just watched the video. It might be chilly. Like, I was like, that's the best video I've seen in a long time. So again, there you go. Getting the waterworks flowing for me. And probably for so many Bills fans, you have caused so many tears, Michelle. How do you feel about that? I feel great. I love it. Keep crying, people. It fuels me. Right? All right. Well, we've got to talk about the growth mindset documentary. Um, Where did that idea come from? And give us a preview of some of your favorite parts and and what we can expect from that documentary. Yeah. So that came from at the end of the season, we did a documentary kind of wrapping up the whole season. So you can find that on YouTube too. Let me keep, I'm just going to plug the YouTube the entire time. Uh, That one's called four years in the making. And you know, it was really about all, all the emotion of the season, how great Josh and Diggs were together, you know, going through COVID and how the fans responded to the season and then winning the AFC East, obviously, because at the time, you know, we hadn't played a playoff game yet. So that was great. And then we were able to do another one on the Ravens win where we followed the chefs, you know, our fans, the chefs through their experience of watching the game and really gave the fans point of view how amazing it was to finally be back in the stadium and to win that game, to move on to the AFC championship, like what that felt like. And how amazing it was, you know, the Taron Johnson pick six, like the whole thing. It was just an incredible night. 
And then at the end, we're like, well, we didn't win. You know, we, we, we lost the AFC championship, you know, it is what it is, to, as, as they say. Um, but it felt like we needed one more, you know, one more show, one more um, expression of how great this season was for the fans. One more memory of, of what we really accomplished this year. We didn't want to go off with a whimper and say, all right, moving on. So one thing we had been talking about was doing a show on all the guys who had McDermott's guys, like the guys who had been here all four years with McDermott you know, and Jerry Hughes being the one who was actually here before Sean McDermott came in. So it was sort of hard to do during the season because everything is so crazy. So um, now that we had a little bit of, of free time in the off season, which as you know, <laughs> doesn't actually exist. Um, we were you, able you to- picked, You picked the three weeks that we get that it's actually chill, Michelle. <laughs> you just filled your schedule up right there with another documentary right before free agency hits. No big deal. <laughs> Everybody else is on vacation and I'm like, hello. <laughs> do you guys know where this one shot is <laughs> here at 11 o'clock last night like with the editor Andy Quinn who's amazing and who produced or edited so many of these things that I've been re referring to including the might be chili video he's been like my partner in crime all season um last night we're like all right we, we got to get this down for the WIVB version because you know the tv is that time like what can we cut out I don't know we're like we're going back and forth and like off season this is great um but, but yeah, so I was listening to coaches, um, you know, postseason press conference, and he kept he referred to growth mindset as he does several times. And that it just kept sticking to me this time, though, like, really, that's what it's all about, you know, the, how they've grown over these four years, but how they're going to continue to grow and what better message to put out right before free agency than to look back and say, here's kind of how we got here. But we're not done yet. We're going to keep, you know, building this team, not just during free agency, but during the draft and the rest of the off season through the programs that we have and through our coaching staff to, you know, take that next step next year. So this kind of goes back to the beginning of McDermott. We see, you know, his opening press conference. We, we could look at the first time he was mic'd up at training camp back in 2017. And we look at some of the players who have been here the whole time, you know, his first draft pick, Trey White, Deion Dawkins, you know, this, I think the second round pick from that year, um, uh, Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde, who came in in free agency that season, you know, guys like Jerry. So, and of course, Josh Allen, who has not been here all four years, but who could be, you know, a bigger part of the team than Josh. And we kind of look, go back and go through their careers with the Bills and, and remind you of all those cool moments that maybe you forgot about or never saw. So, yeah. yeah I really cool. loved how it did take you back to the beginning with McDermott and with some of those guys who, who came in in that first class, whether it was through free agency or through the draft. And, and help you relive everything. I love in feature stories and in documentaries how you can recycle so many things that we've already used, like Sean McDermott's first press conference. I mean, that is going to be used until he is not the coach and probably hopefully he's the coach for the Buffalo Bills forever. Maybe we'll be using it when he's retiring as the Buffalo Bills head coach and he's, you know, in his 90s and finally giving up football and, and has taken us to multiple Super Bowls. But I think it's amazing how you can use so many sound bites over and over again in different types of ways that just either bring back some memories for people or or help them help take them back to that time when when he was fresh as a new coach, uh, his first gig, you know, in the NFL, not knowing what we could expect from him as a new head coach. And, you know, now he's entering his fifth year and we've seen what he's done in such short amount of time. But how how do these stories come to life going from idea to finished product? Because I know you probably have so many ideas out there. Some of these ideas probably don't even 
make it through the beginning stages of actually happening because a multitude of things. They may not be possible. There may not be enough video to show everything. The interviews may not be possible. So how, how do the cooks in the kitchen make it work? I make it up as I go along, Maddie. <laughs> <laughs> so. it's, it's you laying in bed at like two in the morning being like, oh, this would be a great idea. I got to remember this. I literally woke up the other morning and was like, oh my God, I totally forgot about this play that we had Eric Wood break down and see on Dawkins, like got on the horn and was like, how did we not put this in there guys we have to find like this has already been approved like everybody was like this is great and i'm like no wait like michelle no more edits oh that that is definitely a thing that has been said to me multiple times Uh, thank god that andy like i said who i've been working with and all of our editors are great i'm singling him out simply because um should i say that again because my day all our editors are great but i'm uh i'm singling him out specifically because um you know, we've been working together so much, but he has that same mentality where it's like, oh, this, we have to, you know, finish this, but if we spent like the next hour, we could really make it so much better if we just did this. And he's always on board for that. So, um, yeah, so it's basically with this one, I, like you said, I kind of took that NFL films approach to it, which like we had such a huge library there. There are so many shows that we would do that would just say, let's go find the best stuff that we have with this guy and build a a feature or a segment of, you know, looking back at his career and just showing you the best that we have. And so we rarely have time to do that here because everything is just like, go, 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 go to go back into our archives and search them and say, you know, what do we have that maybe hasn't been seen or how can we tell this in a different way? You know, that was, that was the goal of this piece. So it kind of, it, it started with, you know, the growth mindset idea. And then, you know, because we were building it for TV, it sort of gave me a little bit more structure. So you could say the first block will be McDermott, the second block will be Josh, et cetera, et cetera, as opposed to a show where you're just doing for YouTube, which you can kind of, you know, it can be whatever length you want. You can go on and on. Like I felt bad, you know, I wanted to do more on Taron Johnson because he had that huge play at the end of the year. And there's obviously a ton to his story. So, you know, I, I wish that, you know, we had a little bit more time for him, but I'm like, well, you know, maybe in the next one, you know, you gotta, you gotta save some of the stories, I guess, I guess for the next act. So what was it like producing during a pandemic season? Because a lot of people have have said to me and have probably said to you, you know, it must've been really hard to do your job. A, yes, that's true. But B, I feel like we did so much more work than we normally do in a regular season because we were the people in charge of getting the narrative out there when so many fans couldn't be around for training camp, couldn't be at the game. So it's like, we had to dig deeper in a sense and, give the fans more than what they've ever seen to show them what was going on, but also to like take their mind off of the fact that we were living through a pandemic and life wasn't great this year. So how how were you able to do that? And what was it like? I think we were all able to do that because the bills were so good. Yeah, Like that was just, imagine if we had a bad season this year, how different this whole thing would be. So the bills and, and Sean McDermott and, and the whole, the staff and the team really helped everybody out by having such a spectacular season. So there was so much for us to talk about, you know, Josh Allen and the whole story with his grandmother. So even in that case, the fans, like giving that positivity back to us and giving us that great story to tell, you know, donating over a million dollars to Children's Hospital in Josh's late grandmother's name. Like we were able to do it because I think we care and we're, we're all so passionate about this. And I think we all are in this business because we want to be able to bring fans into this world, right? Like that's why we do yeah. this. And I think yeah. that's how you're successful at it because you actually care and you actually take the time to get to know the fans 
you're on social media, you know, learning about them and what they like so that you know, like, okay, I'm going to include this in the show because I know that this is what the fans are going to respond to. And there's nothing better than when you think like, I think the fans are going to love this. And then you see comments come in and that's the part that they are like, oh my God, that was so funny. Or that was so great. I've been wanting to know about that. So yeah, I mean, it was a challenge, you know, for us, like in the production side, audio was awful this year. Like I've never ever used a Zoom interview in a, mm-hmm. in a piece before. I wouldn't even have considered it. Usually no. like, by the way, people who are listening, like we take the time to set up audio. We take the time to set up interviews. You may look at a shot in a normal year and it's an interview setup, or even now we're getting back to, to more normal interviews. And you just think the person sat down in the chair and you hit record. No lighting and audio could take three to six hours if you're really trying to perfect everything and have the light hit on one side of your face so it can be more dramatic or xyz so these are things that take time and that people like to nitpick at because it's a part of the finished product and here we are on zoom and it's like well you have terrible lighting i can't do anything about that because you don't have a ring light (laughs) oh but don't you yeah oh yeah i do That's actually a a Christmas gift for my daughter for her uh, YouTube videos that she doesn't actually have a YouTube channel, but she likes to make videos. Uh, Yeah. So yeah, but it's true. And like, that's how, you know, you win, win awards because everybody's competing to say like, wow, look at the really interesting way I shot this. (laughs) What? (laughs) (laughs) I was taking them off. So I'm in my guest room. Like I don't have a fancy setup here. And like, I was too lazy to actually like go around my house and find one. Plus my kids are like doing school out there. My husband's working from home, the dog's out there somewhere. So I was like, I got to stay in here. But I, I brought a couple of the girls up to uh, to display. And I told my daughter, I'm like, what's the point of these if you can't flex every once in yeah. a while? Like, no, I totally nobody's been to my house. Nobody sees them. So <laughs> what are you going to do? <laughs> but yeah, so it, it was it was weird, but it was also liberating in a way because it, it, it gave us the ability to interview Steve Young for, and he'll be in, you'll see him in growth mindset, but we interviewed him for when we did the piece on Josh and his grandmother. And, you know, typically, you know, try, trying to schedule Steve Young for an interview probably would have been impossible. But in this case, we did it over Zoom. I was able to interview Peter King for another piece, you know, very easily like, hey, what are you doing? Hey, how about tomorrow at four? You know, it's just, I, I hope that we keep some pieces of it going forward and it becomes industry standard to say it's okay to use a Zoom interview, but I also do not want to lose that artistic part where you really do put the effort into making an interview look and sound really beautiful. Yeah. Okay. I want to ask you about going on the road and what it's like to produce and tell some of these stories from the road, because we all have stories of road life and how things just don't happen normally and are different or, or you get a different story based on the story that you thought you would be telling, but because of where you're at and the interviews that you get or the surrounding, it completely changes or you always leave the road with funny stories. So please share some of the things that happen on the road that, you know, fans and your everyday person may not know unless they were in the room or on the road with you and your team when you're doing these stories um, of guys in off season or, you know, anything that takes you out of Buffalo. Yeah, um, I think my favorite on the road story is probably we went to New York for the Winter Classic a couple of years ago. And, you know, it's usually it's a New Year's Day game typically and it's New Year's Eve and oh, the Bills are playing the Dolphins and have a chance to get into the playoffs. So we went to the New York City Buffalo Bills Packers Park, which at the time was McFadden's. 
it was a place that I used to go to when I lived in New York um, and became friend, you know, part of the Bills backers there. So it was cool to go back. But we we're watching that game and brought a camera because, hey, if we make the playoffs, you know, there could be a really cool reaction here. So let's see what happens. And then who knew that we'd have the most dramatic entrance into the playoffs ever, yes. you know, in our case anyway. And we were there, you know, so a lot of the shots that you see of like people celebrating in a bar are from McFadden's in New York because we were there, you know, on a Sabres trip to to do a behind the scenes with um, the equipment guys at the Winter Classic and happened to catch this really awesome, you know, incredible moment in Buffalo Bills history. And then you're in New York City on New Year's Eve, you know, celebrating this, although we weren't celebrating out in Times Square at the bars, I was you know, on the horn, like trying to get fan reaction. And like, we're, you know, we're all texting each other, like who's going to the airport? Like people are talking about going there. This was the first time that had happened, you know, at least in, in decades, you know, probably not, I don't know if they used to go in the nineties or not, but so it was like a, a whole crazy world opened up for us all of a sudden. And we were all, I'd never been so happy to be working on New Year's Eve in my life. So yeah, that was nuts. And then yeah, another trip to New York. Um, and I feel like I've had to had flights canceled. I had to drive back randomly from New York more times than I can count. But we went um, a couple summers ago on a Sabres trip with um, Western New York heroes. We were bringing them back to relive the um, Sabres Rangers um, game after 9-11, which was the first mm-hmm. you know, meaning, meaningful professional yeah. game played on Manhattan after 9-11. So we brought a couple of Western New York heroes who were veterans you know, from the wars that were fought in reaction to 9-11 um, back into a tour of MSG and to visit the, the 9-11 memorial. And so Razor and Marty and Brian Duff were on the trip. And of course our flight got canceled. There was a huge down, it's like August, just a huge downpour. So we're like getting drenched. Marty Baran is like out in Manhattan trying to find us a minivan so we can drive home because none of us, no one, you never want to like stay over again. Like we all have like you have kids to get back to, yeah. work to get back to. It's like, hotels in New York are what, like 450 bucks a night. And it's like, we all just want to go home at this point. So he's out in in Manhattan. Razor's like trolling him on the text thread about trying to get this minivan. He had to like go all over. He like pulls up in front of the hotel. We're like all in like puddles of water because it's raining so hard, (laughs) trying to get all of our luggage in and cram all the camera equipment. And like the trunk is about this big. So Brian Duff and I are in like the middle row with like our bags on our laps. We're soaking wet, drenched. (laughs) Razor's trying to like drive us out of Manhattan during the storm. There may have been, oh no, actually it was Marty trying to drive us out of the time. And then when we got out of New York, Razor insisted on taking over the driving because of course Marty, you know, doesn't, doesn't drive right. There may have been a speeding ticket at two in the morning at one point. And I, you know, it's a little fuzzy, but you know, all that stuff, that, that's just like team bonding when you're mm-hmm. on the road. And it's so fun to be with those guys. And, and again, like I was saying with, with Scott Norwood, like you're sitting in this minivan with you know, Marty and Razor up front bickering like an old married couple and like laughing and we're all having just so much fun and we're soaking wet and miserable and like crammed in like this with all the bags and you're like, we're going to laugh about this so much, you know, in the years to come. Yeah. Life on the road, <laughs> eh? What, what everybody is probably gathering from this is it's not glamorous. Um, you may think we work in a glamorous field, but once you get us on the road and a lot of the projects that we're on, I mean, producing a, a documentary means no sleep. It means you're up and doing stuff at odd hours of the night, especially when you're following a team that's kicking butt like the Bills were this year. You're running to the airport to get footage of the fans at the airport. You're you're then trying to get everybody in sync with where where is this person, where is that person. And I mean, it takes a lot of work, but it is all worth it. And it makes it, I mean, working in this industry is just so much fun for so many reasons. But like you said, the team bonding aspect of it and the people that you get to work with, 
it's so wonderful because we work crazy hours that the people that you're at the office with every single day, like become your family. So as I'm saying all this, what are some of your favorite parts about working in this industry and the crazy life that we get to live? I mean, I think the favorite parts are definitely when you're there to experience someone else's like greatest moment of their life or like, you know, if it's a little kid who gets to meet an athlete, you know, like the Cade story, like he and Josh already knew each other, but like seeing that bond and knowing how much it means to Cade, but other kids that I've worked with and like they, their hope if they're, if they're through Make-A-Wish or something, you know, another program, like their hope is to meet this athlete and you're able to provide them that experience. Like that is definitely a hundred percent you know, the best part. And even an adult, like we had a couple of years ago, there's an organization called Treasured, Treasured Time that, you know, provides experiences for adults who have terminal illnesses. And we had this man, Jay O'Leary come um, during the off season and his goal, I mean, he lived in Connecticut, but he grew up in Western New York. And his, his one wish was to bring his family to Buffalo and to see the Bills facility. And you think about that, like, this is something we take for granted every day that we're here, you know, you know, <laughs> previously when we used to be able to like actually walk around the facility wherever <laughs> we wanted to go and like see the, see the players and you might pass them. Hey, how you doing? And it's cool, but it's work. And then this person's like one dying wish was to come there and see, and see everybody and meet, and meet the players. And he and coach McDermott had a really nice talk. He tried to curse up the uh, visiting locker room while he was here. And, you know, he ended up passing away a few months later. It's just knowing that we were able to provide that for him. Like that's definitely the best part of the job. Yeah, I love getting to tell other people's stories and just getting to watch people kind of bask in it all, whether it's your your fans who who don't get to be around that get to be around for that one day or whether it's the players who are breaking records and having the best season of their lives. It's so fun to help tell that story and also be on the side watching it all happen. I mean, it is why I love working in the industry is really getting to share who those athletes are beyond the Jersey, beyond the helmet and, and telling people who they really are as people. It's one of my favorite parts and, and why it keeps me, you know, working seven days a week during the season, because it, it makes it all worth it, especially winning 13 games in the AFC East title. I mean, that also that makes it really worth it. And I'm really <laughs> excited for next season already. So now that we've kind of covered what it's like to produce a story and some of the great memories that you have and, and why you love working in sports, I want to talk about also how you got into the industry. I mean, before you came to PSE, uh, like you had mentioned, you were a producer at NFL Films and produced some pretty cool segments, uh, including some inside the NFL stuff and some hard knock stuff. I mean, did you always know you wanted to be in sports and, and be a producer in sports? How did you get some of those opportunities when you were first? getting your foot in the door because as we all know it's not easy to get your foot in the door it's not I mean I feel like my story is so much about being in the right place at the right time so I don't think I ever really knew I wanted to be in sports when I was in college you know I was the editor of our newspaper for a little bit and the one day our you know how college newspapers are like the photographer couldn't go to a football game so I was like I'll just go take pictures like I have any idea how to take a photo and you know I was down in the field like running around the sidelines with the camera and I was like this is pretty amazing like that feeling of being on the sidelines that was sort of my first rush where I was like this is pretty cool and then um, I moved to New York after college and started working with the New York City Bills backers, as I mentioned before. And I started writing like a, 
you know, I guess it's a blog, but at the time we were calling it a column every week about what it was like to watch the game in the bar and like the experience of it. This was the 2004 football season. So we went nine and seven that year and just missed the playoffs because we couldn't beat the Steelers third stringers, not that I'm bitter. And um, yeah. <laughs> So it was just such a fun, exciting experience. We brought Marv Levy in for a book signing. And like, I was just kind of like trying to find a job in New York, either in writing or communications production, something. And, you know, I was like, this is what I want my life to be. Like, I want to work for the bills. Like, this is so much fun. Like, this is so much more fun than anything else I'm doing. Happened to have a coworker whose former college roommate worked at NFL Films. And I was like, I'll submit my resume. I don't really have a production experience. Like I was an English, I was a writing major in college. So journalism, writing, English. And I was like, I don't know. We'll see what happens. And it just so happened they were hiring a bunch of people at that time. When I went down for my interview, they told me like, we hire writers that we can train to be producers. Like you can teach someone how to edit. You can teach them, you know, even how to interview, how to, you know, do all the technical aspects of it, but you can't teach someone how to write at this point, you know? So if you're a good writer, you're a good storyteller, we want you to we'll fill in the blanks. And so I had to do a writing sample and they make you take a test. I don't know if they still do, but they would, they, it's like a bunch of photos, you know, to identify who all the people are. And it's like, you know, athletes and pop figures in pop culture, like wow. Steve Sable, the founder of NFL Films is on the test. I probably it's got the it NFL wrong. Films version of the Warlick test or the Wonderlick yeah. test. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And it's so nerve wracking. And like, there's these four guys at the time interviewing you and I'll never forget when they were telling me about the writing sample portion you know it was like go home and write this and get it to us by Thursday and of course you go and write it immediately so you yeah. can show them you can hand it in right away but Chris Barlow who ended up being one of the producers on the four falls of Buffalo and was a great mentor at the time I didn't know him he was like this is where we distinguish the people who can write from the people who think they can write. Ooh. I was like, oh, <laughs> okay. So yeah, so I, you know, I guess they liked me. I was the first hire in their class that year, came in as a production assistant, learned everything. They taught me, I was editing when I was there, you know, how to edit music, how to, how to direct, how to interview. Um, and, you know, got my start, like you said, working on Inside the NFL, which is still my, my favorite show ever. I just love that show writing all the puns and the fun lines mm -hmm. and like you know it, it was such when you talk about that camaraderie like we would all do um you know the vo session it used to be on wednesdays and now on tuesday mornings so everyone like piles into the studio and like you hear everybody's lines and there's just so much like back and forth on oh that was a great one or like laughing at people and seeing everybody's you know segments up on the big screen it was just such a, a fun show to work on so that's that's probably my favorite i mean hard knocks is another great one and I learned so much doing that as well obviously I was able to bring a lot of that experience to the bills and embedded in, in the shows that we do here my favorite hard knocks memory might be you know we were doing it with Dallas they did their um, training camp in Southern California in Oxnard and I was in the robo trailer so we have all these robotics cameras in all the meeting rooms and somebody is you know we were controlling them from a trailer so I had all these monitors up and Tony Romo and Jason Witten used to sneak into the trailer during the coaches meeting at night. And like, I, they were not supposed to be in there, but I was like, you know, in my twenties, like what, there's no security or anything. What am I gonna kick Tony Romo out of the trailer? And he would come and watch the meetings and like, see what it was at the time Wade Phillips head coach, see what the coaches were saying about like the roster while they were saying like, you know, who's doing well, like where, you know, slotting in their depth chart. I was like, oh my God, Coach McDermott, I would never allow that to happen here, by the way. But <laughs> never. <laughs> never. Well, I'm also so much more comfortable with the guys here. I'd be like, you can't be here. Yeah. You know, that's the difference. So at the time I was like, okay, Tony Romo is here. Like, I don't know. Like, 
you know, don't tell anyone. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> it wasn't every night, but a couple times they would come in. So that was, that was always funny. I think everybody, like everybody has a different story of how they got their foot in the door, what that big break was for them that allowed to kind of climb the ladder uh, to where they want to be, whether it's working for their hometown team or whether it's getting to uh, a network station. And it's so cool to hear, especially women, um, how they were able to you know, start the process of working in sports and the different jobs they've been in. But what are some advice to the girls, to the ladies, the women on here who want to work in sports and think that it's there's too many men in it or think that I don't know where to start because it seems like such a big beast and I don't know where the opportunities are. What are some words of encouragement for them? Apply, apply to the job. Like I had zero video, you know, production experience when I applied to NFL films and, you know, I loved my team. That was it. I was a Bills fan who loved my team and I wrote about my team and that they hired me to be a TV producer. So, you know, I would say if you think like, I'm not qualified for this position, I'm not qualified for this promotion, you know, there are probably a hundred men who are less qualified than you who have already applied and are expecting that callback because men just inherently have more confidence about these things, I think, and, and are not afraid to, to, to do that. Mm -hmm. So don't let them take your job, like apply yes. and see what happens and apply confidently and, and believe in yourself and, you know, know what your quality, your good qualities are. And if you don't quite have the experience, talk up what you know, you bring to the table and, and make sure that they know that you know, you are going to put in the work and, and be prepared to do that too. This job, like this industry is not for people who want to work nine to five. And you can talk about that better than anybody. <laughs> it is so true. And I want to know what would your advice be as a woman who is on camera? Like I, I'm behind the camera typically, which I love because I get to ask all the questions without having to put myself out there, but you're out there. So what would your advice be? Well, my advice on one side to, to your apply, my advice is even if you're applying and you're not hearing back from people, figure out a different way to apply for maybe jobs that aren't even out there. That's how I got my first job at Stanford, which was basically part-time. I was making chump change and uh, babysitting every day after work, but that was how I got in the door. And I got that job by brainstorming what I thought were the 50 big sports schools. So your power five conferences um, reached out to people who I thought would be um, maybe my boss in that type of media department, or if they had one like that. And so I basically put together a little email, attached my resume and was like, Hey, this is what I want to do. Do you have any opportunities? If not, um, please forward my email on to the right person or reach out to me if there are opportunities. I sent out 50 emails. I probably got less than 10 responses back, which I thought was better than none. Uh, a month later, Stanford reached out to me and they're like, hey, we have this role. Um, it may not be what you want, but do you want to apply for it? And it wasn't exactly what I wanted. It was pretty much all off camera. But that's how you kind of get into this industry. You have to be able to do everything and anything. If you want to be on camera, you also have to learn how to be off camera. You have to be a one man band is what my teachers would preach to me. You need to know how to shoot video. You need to know how to edit. You need to know how to tell stories. You need to know how to write. And then you need to know how to interview and you need to know how to be on camera. So if you can do it all, that makes you a lot more attractive to someone who's going to hire you because they want to hire people out of college who can do a lot 
for cheap money. And then you work your way into getting more money. And then you can be more specified in what you do as you work your way um, up that ladder and into new jobs. But my advice for being on camera would also be don't don't let people get to you because it is a nasty industry where men feel like they can pick apart women. Uh, men who are on camera do not face what I face on a daily basis and what a lot of other women in the industry face on a daily basis. People think that can pick apart how you sound, how you dress, how your hair is, the countless number of tweets that I get uh, daily from people when I do on camera things that are not positive uh, could really affect me and my mental state but I try not to let them get to me. There's days where they do let them, where you let people get to you, um, but just have a positive outlook. I also think it's so important to have a support system. I have a group text with all the other team reporters in the NFL and we lift each other up and encourage each other. I hate that people feel like girls and women are pitted against each other. We are all on the same team. We should all want to see a lot of women in these types of roles. It doesn't mean that if someone gets a job that's a similar title as you, it doesn't mean that your opportunity is being taken away. It means that more women are being um, fo focused on and picked for these roles. We should all be celebrating women who are breaking into the sports industry and who are breaking barriers. So that's kind of my advice to everyone. I'm sure you would totally agree with that. But since it's Women's History Month, what are some of your thoughts on the barriers that we've seen that have been broken and the ceilings that we have seen shattered uh, this year for women in this industry and in sports in general. I love it. We've got a, a woman GM in MLB. You know, we've got, we've got yeah. several women coaches across several sports. You know, the first woman of color coach was finally hired, you know, this off season, which is amazing. We need more women of color in this industry in general. I think you would agree with that too. Yes. So, you know, I, I think it's great. And I think, you know, when you look around at all the smart women there are out there, like look at someone like rep Katie Porter from uh, California and how smart she is with her whiteboard and how she can just take people down. Like imagine if she had, yes. her, it's, I'm so glad she's representing us in politics, but imagine if she had been from the time when she was a kid focusing on sports, she could be an NFL coach, you know, like someone that's smart and, and that focused on, on details, like women, are not coaches just because they haven't been, you know, and women are not GMs or in front offices just because traditionally they haven't been. You're going to tell me that a woman couldn't be a scout and, and, you know, who better than a woman to look at people, judge them, figure out, you know, what they're really like, and be able to, you know, kind of use their intuition to say, this is, this is the right guy or not, or to be a referee and, and have that attention to detail to say, Hey, that's wrong. And, and to dole out a punishment like that's, there, there's no reason there's nothing that women can't do the only reason that you don't see more of them is because there aren't more of them already so every barrier that's broken opens the door for the woman behind her so it's so so important yeah and one last question before we wrap things up uh why do you think it's important to recognize women and celebrate women during this month and and like i've said whether whatever month we're celebrating whatever we should be celebrating it every single day i said the same thing about black history month and a lot of people pointed me in that direction is like it's great we have february but why not celebrate black history every single day of the year because it deserves to be celebrated and that's how i feel about women's history month too why do you think it's important for us to celebrate women and what they've done in this world 
You know, I've been thinking about how at the beginning of my career, I would not have embraced the fact that I was a woman in sports. Like you try to blend in, you want to be one of the guys, you don't want them to notice that you're a woman. And, you know, you get a lot of people that you interview being like, wow, you really know your stuff. You know, like, would you say that? I mean, maybe they would say that if there was a man interviewing them, but probably not. Right. And you, but you don't want anyone to notice that you're a woman and why not? Like women bring unique abilities to the table and, and, you know, women are, are bosses. Like you said at the beginning, like we, we can do anything. This, this sounds so like cliche, but I just, I think that we should embrace who we are and we don't have to be one of the guys to fit in in this industry. We can bring our unique perspective because that's beneficial for everyone. You know, when you don't have a woman at the table, when you don't have people of color at the table, you're doing yourself a disservice. So, you know, I'm part of the, the Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Council at PSE, you know, which encompasses the bills and savers. And I'm really proud to do so. You know, our hope is that we can make, you know, our little slice of this industry, you know, more diverse and bring more voices in. And I think in the end, it's just gonna, it's gonna be beneficial for us because when we're able to speak to more of our audience and to more of our fans, you know, they will be more responsive and more, you know, engrossed in our teams and feel more like a part of the family, which is the whole goal of doing all of this. Yes, I completely agree. Michelle, thank you so much for hopping on Bill's Pod Squad with me to talk about the Growth Mindset documentary, your life in the business, and some awesome advice for our fellow women out there who want to work in this industry. Uh, The Growth Mindset documentary is dropping on Thursday, March 11th on YouTube at 7 o'clock Eastern time. You don't want to miss it. And also Friday, March 12th at 6.30 p.m. Eastern time on WI. IVB TV channel four. Uh, thank you all for tuning in to another episode of Bill's Pod Squad. We've got many more to come and many more cool guests as the league year gets rolling here in a couple weeks. So make sure you stick with us. We hope you have a great week. Michelle, thank you. Thank you, Maddie Glab. Appreciate Woo. you having me on. Of course. <laughs>